at the beginning of your presentation, you talk about the, the way that, uh, the method that you used to come up with the estimation of deforestation. Mm -hmm. You mentioned some pictures, of course, covered. So what kind of pictures did you use and how can we be sure that these are comparable? I mean, if you have a picture of 1917 and you have another picture of 2000, they are entirely comparable and they are coming from the same source, for example? Yeah. Well, here I have this, I didn't put the images, but what I use is I use the Landsat image, uh, Landsat, which is a satellite. And actually that was a problem because I used the Landsat, which was first launched, that was MSS. And the resolution of, of that one is 90, 90 meters by 90 meters uh, resolution, if I'm correct. I'm correct? No, which one is 57. it? 57, okay. I have the remote sensing advisor here. And then the Landsat uh, TM images from 19, um, 1990 that are 30 meters by 30 meters re resolution. And then the Landsat of 2000, which is uh, the same resolution in terms of, of the pixel. So what I did is I had to process the images in, in order to make it comparable, but even though they're not totally 100% comparable, but it was the best way to get an estimate of how much forest we lost. So to do that, I use what is called the, the um, vegetation index, the NDVI, which is a normalized index of the vegetation. And I obtain an NDVI for each of the, of the Landsat images. And from that, what I did is I subtracted the NDVI to obtain which was the deforestation from 1980 to 1990 and from 1990 to 2000. So I didn't got a lot into this because last year, my whole talk was about this, how we obtained the, the, the deforestation uh, estimate. But I will be happy to talk more about this uh, afterwards. I don't know if I answered your question. And this is just net deforestation, right? You didn't identify in which places uh, there are more or less forests. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I, I just put a, a zoom in here. Let me just check. Here it is. So it's, I don't know if it's a specialist, please. I know where the deforestation was, was, uh, took place. So for example, here you can see in red, first I did a classification because I wanted to know, okay, which forests were deforested in my first time period. So this is what you see in red. And then, okay, how much forest was deforested between the 80s to the 90s? And it's what you see in red and then from 1990 to 2000. So it's a quantification, of course, uh, of, the of course it has its limitations because the satellites are different satellites that were launched and, and they have different um, resolution, which is a problem. That's net deforestation. Yeah, that's net deforestation. I don't know if you have any other question. Yes. Can I ask about the um, carbon price estimates you use? Um, what? What was your sense, or how did you come to the conclusion that those were good prices to use um, if you're basing this on the future? When, I mean, all, all indications are that the market's either going to crash or get really huge. Of course, that's a really problem that you have in forecasting. So what we use is we use the, um, the interest rate just in order to project how the prices were changed. And it's what generally economists do in a project because we cannot predict how the stock market would, would react. So all the economic, all the valuation that they do, for example, if they perceive, okay, how much this road is going to be 
give benefits in tourism. Maybe tourism will go down. Maybe tourism will go up. Maybe it will be a revolution again or will be a civil war in Guatemala and no people will go. So those are things that we cannot really quantify, but economists do. So we're like, well, why we don't do the same with, with the CO2? So what we did is we use what, what economists always do. We say, what is the interest rate unless projected from now to 30 years? And that was, that, that was the way we did it. I think there are some people who are actually modeling what the carbon market is likely to do. I know, but that that was that was going to be too noisy in order to to really arrive. The the main object that that's important to model that, but that was to put out another model within the model. I think that's very important, but we we could have modeled many other things as well in order to do the cost benefit analysis. So we just did it the most straightforward and old fashioned way. Um, I'm curious about the the relationship between roads and deforestation. Mm -hmm. How you, uh, like, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the data, um, all your roads data and your and you know your deforestation data. But how did you tell whether the roads followed the deforestation followed the roads or the uh, roads followed the deforestation? Yeah. Well, what we did is we we mapped the the roads and the deforestation for each time period. So we run the model in, in, in the different time periods. And we see how consistent was uh, roads as a robust indicator. On the other side, I'm working on, on, a, on an analysis that is called using what is called propensity score matching. And what I'm trying to do is to see, OK, if you have a road in a place that have exactly the same conditions, that is not uh, a place that do not have a road, which is the likelihood to have deforestation in that place, than in the place that you have the road. So we're doing that analysis to really, to really, um, well, in a way, it's very hard to prove causality if the roads cause deforestation. But here I'm just seeing the relationship between roads and deforestation, but in, in that uh, using propensity score match, I'm trying to see much more that ca causal effect. Okay, I'm just curious, did you collect the roads data um, from the previous time step and then uh, yes, okay, that's I, I did. I did uh, from the 80s, from the 1990, and from the 2000. Okay. So I have like I have I have the images, but I have the evolution of the roads as well. How how the road road <laughs> changed, the road network changed in the area, and then I projected how it will change based on the the investment plans. And then also um, in calculating your your present value, uh, I don't know if I missed it, but did you? Uh, incorporate the value of deforested land? I mean, if it's being converted to agriculture, there's probably a, a per acre. Well, we, what we included was um, the estimate of how, how much the prices will go up in terms of if, if you put a road, we included that. But we didn't include that in terms of it's converted to agriculture. We just did that for the environmental ex externalities. We say, okay, Let's include if the if if you put a road and there is deforestation, how much of that forest? If we just say oh all the forest was gone and it's zero, is is not that likely. So let's say if worst case scenario everything converts to grassland. Uh, optimistic scenario we have um, secondary growth or we have um, uh, perennial agriculture. So that's that's the two scenarios, and we put it in the in the cost benefit analysis as an externality. But the first values that I show you was the economic analysis without the externalities, the environmental externalities were negative. 
And now, if you put the environmental externalities, they are very, very negative. So, so without including the, the externalities, we, they, they were not feasible in economic terms. You and you? Oh, I was just wondering if it turned out like you thought, because it didn't seem as much deforestation as I would have guessed, you know, just coming in here. Like, what did you think the model was going to tell you about projecting, about forecasting? Yes, well, actually, I think it was pretty much mm -hmm. from, from the roads. Of course, it's a pretty optimistic scenario because I'm not quantifying. If you build a road, you start having the fish bones. Mm -hmm. And to model the fish bone is, is really hard. It's like playing God. So I didn't get into that. So I'm underestimating, of course, deforestation and as well the, the effects by, by fire. It's, it's, it's very well known that in Brazil and Philippines and other studies that when you put a road, the incidence of fires increment. And of course, a fire has a much more high effect on deforestation. And I didn't quantify that. So what I'm giving here, my, the model has big limitations and, 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 and it's a really optimistic scenario. Going back to the deforestation model, um, your unit of analysis is one hectare, is that right? Yes, well, uh, the pixels, I, I, I decided to, to sample everything in an hectare, but my unit of analysis ended to be one point. So I took 16,000 points uh, randomly, well, separated in the, in the, by, by a certain distance in the landscape, but in a random way. And from every point I had the, I sample, uh, so I throw all the points and I sample each of the, the point it was inside of our protected area, etc. So that was. And so uh, my question is actually, where did you get the data on population density, for example? Okay. It's probably on a county, municipal, something. Yes, no, I didn't got the data on population density. Well, I got the data on population, points and the data uh, is for every for every town and actually the data for Mexico was done by the INEGI the the data by the by the uh, by Guatemala in the Reserva Biosfera Maya uh, is a pretty good data because all the people all in the conservation agencies did a very good census and from Belize I got it from the government of Belize so it's, it's point data and the thing is, the data is on a point only. So obviously a city doesn't have, a, or, or a locality doesn't have effect on a point. So what I did is I used what is called kernel density to say, okay, which will be the effect of this city in the landscape in a radius of X or Y kilometers. So that's what I use in order to do the sampling. And I would suggest including two variables in there. One would be um, growth. So in, in the sense of population density or, or GDP or something is increasing or decreasing in each city to give you some sort of dimension, uh, dynamic dimension to the model because in the sense that if a city is growing a lot faster, that can be a, a larger predictor of deforestation than just in a static model in yeah. which you have whatever is there now, but you don't know how that is changing. Yeah, actually we did that, and maybe I didn't explain very well, we did that for the following years. So what we did is which is the, the increment, which is the, the rate of, uh, which, which are the demographics in the different districts, and we projected that. 
But of course, that has limitations because some areas will grow more because of the road. And some areas will go down because before the road, the, the dirt road was this way and they open a new road. So maybe some people will move out. So those things we couldn't manage. So we use, we just, we just assume uh, I increase, so we did that actually. Yeah, but that would also serve as a baseline for the propensity score matching. Yes, I haven't, I, I didn't get into the propensity score matching right now because I'm just working on that, but it will be great if we can <laughs> to get, I know you work with Sibrendu, don't you? So I will need to talk to you more about this. Any other questions? Yeah. Do you think there's a relationship between the amount of forest and the amount of tourists? Well, actually, I think it is. And I think, actually, we have another problem because of that, we, which, is, which is not bad. Uh, thinking of the more forest, the more tourists. Do you think that's true, or do you think the less forest, the more tourists? No, I think the more forest, the more tourists. Okay, so is that included in your analysis, that forests decrease over time, let's say 100 years? Do you go that far? No, actually, it's a very optimistic scenario because we, we we assumed that the forest, the, the tourism was going to increase due to the road uh, based on that. And even that, we obtained negative economic values. So under a wonderful optimistic scenario, we see that the economic gains of the roads are negative. And I think that's a very good point, that the tourists will, will go down. And now uh, the NGOs that I work with are in a big um, lobbying or, or, or negotiations because in the case of the road, this road actually that crosses Mexico, they want to build a their road in the middle to put um, cables of alta tension. How do you say? Yeah, electric poles. High tension cables. So they're going to they want to open a parallel road, but they want to do it two kilometers inside the jungle so the tourist doesn't see the cable. And that's the argument. And we're like, yeah, but you will have a double impact. And in the future, the tourists will not just not see the cable, they will see the cable and all the, 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 the illegal settlements there. So, so the, these people know that it's going to be an effect on tourism, a negative effect. And, and that's one of, of uh, the NGOs now are, are, are in conversations in order to, to change uh, these. And um, yeah. So uh, we know that it's very hard to stop this kind of development. But you say you didn't yeah, uh, do an analysis about trains. But I think maybe that's a good alternative. And is anybody working in you know, doing some research about what would be the impact of trains instead of a road? You know, where the train only can stop in the archaeological sites? And I don't know. Yes, no, no, no. Actually, that's why in the case of Guatemala, one of the of the of the what they're proposing is to put is to put trains to put a little train instead of a road. Of course, the train is is highly costly; will be higher cost than the road, uh, but but, but the, the impact may be less. So so they're doing that analysis for the Mirador area. Mm -hmm. so, so how does the Roca Flores dovetail with what you were talking about in the beginning with the Pan-American, the Pan-Central American highway system? Is this the first step towards linking Flores to the Pan-American highway, or is it just going to be an isolated tourist? Well, this is a big, big project. <coughs> we, we should not forget that this is a very important geopolitical area. 
And now with CAFTA, the, the free trade treaty between, uh, uh, with Central America, <laughs> there is a big potential of consumers in, in that area and as well of exchange of, of, of goods. So there are big projects here. One of the big projects is to open a port, but not for tourists, for, for goods, a big port for goods uh, close to Puerto Morelos, which is an area with coral reefs. And they already built a big highway. I'm not quite sure. They already built a big highway that goes down here, as you can see. And if this goes through here, it will arrive directly to Guatemala. So these roads are not just for tourism. They're, they have, these roads are about transporting goods. The other thing about all the roads that will cross here is because we have the Panama Channel and we have uh, here Lauren Matalon who did a, a very interesting uh, documentary about the, the Panama Channel. And if you have many roads crossing through Central America, you have a direct connection between, between the two oceans, which is very important in, 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 in commercial terms. So this, this road is obviously is part of this big development project that is not just about tourism, it's as well about, about trade. So maybe the, the, the benefits, the economic benefits for the region are low, but in terms of, of a major trade, could be could be could be good for for the I don't know for the people who are trading their goods. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Do you have a solution to these problems? Do you have a new idea that <laughs> save these forests for and have your tourists too? Because I think tourists are inevitable. So is there an idea of having your forest, your cake and eat it too? Well, I think, I think uh, your, your, your question, your, your previous question goes to the point. Tourists want to see forest. And I think we have great examples in Costa Rica and we have great examples in Belize. Actually, in Belize, deforestation has been going down and they have great ecotourism places. So I don't think there is a, there is a problem between tourism and development. I think you, you can have both. And uh, there, there, there are some ideas in terms of all these road networks doing airports, but one of the problems is people say, well, if you do airports, it will be very expensive, and just rich people will be able to get to those uh, uh, pyramids. But on the other hand, we know many of the roads are not just for, for touristic purposes, in especially the road that will cross the, the, the protected area. There are big development projects. So the problem, I don't think it's a tourism. I think the problem is these major infrastructure projects. Open. We're talking about, about roads, but there are 321 hydroelectrics being planned for that region, for Central America. So the impact of, of we're talking about roads, the impact of those hydroelectrics is that you need to open roads as well to build them. We don't know which one will be. There, there are some people uh, with the same NGO I work that are working in, in some of those, uh, of the dam projects, of, of the hydroelectric projects. So I think that the Mesoamerican Biological Corridor has a pretty good pro, uh, program in terms of conservation and development that is more locally, but it doesn't go with this mega infrastructure project that, that is for, for Central America. And while dams and or hydroelectrics are being closed in the US, they're now being open in, in, in Central America. So the idea is, is to see, okay, which hydroelectrics will give you the, the most benefits that we cannot stop because they're important for the economy and which ones will not know. So that was the idea of doing the, this project because in an area where 
where poverty levels are so high, you cannot have the luxury of saying, well, don't touch the forest. Even if it's, if it's um, a very important um, source of environmental uh, goods for, for, for local communities. But when you do an analysis like this one and you see that the economic benefits are negative and the, and the environmental Im impacts are so high, I don't, see, I don't see that that's a good alternative. I don't see where is the problem. There is no problem. The project is bad in economic terms and the project is bad in, in environmental terms. So, so I think sometimes we need to stop and check on those things. Yeah. Yeah, uh, this project is your original project. Which one? Uh, this uh, your analysis. It's only your... Oh, I work with my co-authors. I work with Irene Burges and John Reed from Conservation Strategy Fund. They are the economists, the expert okay. economists. Okay. And I work with Carlos Manterola, who is from Unidos para la Conservación, who is a policy expert. Yeah. Actually, that's a, this is a Panama plan initiated by the, the ex-president Fox, right? It's already passed in six years. And uh, maybe that the World Bank or any other so donor is committee already done something analysis or something estimation. And uh, in terms of this, this project is, is a Guatemala to Chetomar uh, mm -hmm. uh, Maybe some organization already estimated or calculated analysis so like you. Is there any difference in your conclusion? And, uh, yes, yes, I show it. I don't know if, if you if you saw it. But what we did first is we did um, well, first, Irene, who is, who is one of the co-authors, she traveled all Central America. She interviewed all places, and she did an inventory of all the projects that she could get information, because it's not easy to get information, that are going to be developed in the area. And she had a, a macro idea. And then we went, and we did an analysis of the, of the area, and we obtained everything that, that was done. So actually, for the project Caobas, uh, the, the Mexico Petén, the, the Quintana Roo Flores Road, there was already a study. So we took that study and we used that study and we analyzed the study, but we did it, we, we redid it the analysis and, and, we, and we found that it was some problems in, in the way they, they an, analyzed the data. I don't know if I, I, I show it here. We, we, we had two scenarios, well not two scenarios, two analyses. As you can see, the, the, the case of the, of the Ministry of, of Transportation of Mexico, they have a, a pretty well done study because they have all the data you can imagine. And then we did ours because we, we found some inconsistencies in terms uh, in the, in the cost-benefit analysis. Actually, that I, that last, last summer, so I interviewed with uh, the director of the so environmental uh, ministry of environment in Mexico, and uh, he said that uh, maybe that uh, this year they try to so accept some as a new as a methodology that to calculate so you know the strategic so environmental impact assessment. Maybe if accept this as a methodology, maybe it's gonna provide us more alternative so constructing road. That's why maybe that. Uh, it's more strong, so environmental impact, they have to so accept. That's why it's maybe that some kind of project would be gone. Yes, well actually here the problem was not in on the environmental impact, was on the economic analysis that we found from the ministry. So they have some problems on, on the economic analysis. 
uh, and yes, the NGOs that I work with, they're, they're, they're now trying to, to show the results of our project to the ministries, to, 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 to other communities, to see which, which uh, can be done in terms of, of mitigating the effects of the roads, or, and some roads maybe they're not that feasible in order to be, to be constructed. Half this road is already, is almost finished, this one. The, the construction, yeah, so that, that cannot be stopped. The to the Belmo the, the bell, the bell Bank, it's already exist. Oh. Yeah. oh yes, no, but this one always exists. This yeah. is the alternative route. Uh -huh. And this is the real one, the one that they want to construct. So so I don't know if, if, if you heard this part of the talk, the first part. Yeah, we're yeah, explaining yeah. this. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I was just. I. I didn't know if I was clear. This one was. This one is. Is a route everybody uses, and they. They are. What. What their plan is to do this one, so people instead of going through the way of Belize, they will go. They will use this. This new. Um, this new road. Early in the talk of uh, the opposition of the local people to the La Ruta Mundo Maya. Plan Puebla Panama? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, is there any, uh, do you have anything to comment on as far as like the, the local people's uh, perspective about the building of this? Yeah, well, the people from, from Washington, um, actually, uh, WCS uh, Guatemala talk, works a lot with, with, with the Washington, the locals, and they're, they're not happy about, about the road because they know that will, many people have, uh, have business to walk, to walk uh, with mules or, or in, in their cars, people from Tikal to the, to the pyramids. So if they build this big road and these big tourists, they will they will lose their business. So they're not happy about this. So there are local people in the different areas that are not happy about about these projects. Are there people in Washington? Washington? Yeah, it's a little community. Well, they must be happy. No, they're not happy. About the road? No. Like, how do they get their kids? Oh, they have a oh because they have they they have a dirty road, and and they don't want they don't want a big road. First one. We, we need to consider that this is a highly uh, conflictive area. We have in that area drug dealers. 30% of the cocaine that, is, that comes to the US is transported in these borders between Mexico, Belize, and Guatemala. What No, the problem is you have a lot of drug dealers, you have a lot of illegal settlements. So when you do, do a road and have accents, the people in Washington will have to fight to new people who will try to settle there that they don't have land. So in Guatemala you have, in 1990, it was estimated that 55 persons per day were migrating to the Petén in, in search of land. Mm -hmm. So the, the deforestation in Guatemala is going really, really high. It's, 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 the rate is really high. So if you open a road, this, this community in Washington has have been here for, for decades. And of course, they don't want they don't want people to have that easy access. Now they can control the access. They they they, they take the tourists with their mules or with their little truck, and they show the pyramids, and they control the access who gets in there and who doesn't get there. And as well, they have a forestry ejido that they manage the, their land in forestry. They have a permit to manage the forestry in in, in the protected area, and and of course they don't want to. If you open a road, you have illegal timber. 
going on, so they don't want to road. Well, it's that's, that's a very famous community because of the, the way they're using their, their land, doing a lot of sustainable development projects. And actually, they're being very renowned all over, Latin, all over Central America. Yeah, Latin America. In Guatemala, because of the projects they're doing. So if the road gets built there, they just lose everything. So definitely they're not happy about it. Yes? Um, also, like you just spoke briefly on, on illegal logging increase with increased roads. And I know in southern Belize that they have a lot of problems with illegal mahogany logging. And if, if there's actually one place in Tinto, that they've been kind of fighting off a road being built in that area. And I don't know, I just think that's something interesting to, to consider as far as, as far as deforestation and, and things like that. Not even just Logging, but also yeah, yeah. You will have logging, and you will have all the illegal trade with of of animals, and so yeah. Many problems will will come with access that are very hard to quantify in terms of of monetary. So that's why we didn't do it. Um, there's a road coming in from Western Guatemala too, isn't there? From um, on the western border from Mexico into. Oh yes, yes, that's the, and I quantified the deforestation for that one, and that is already built. It's a road that, that crosses here, yeah. that is El Seibo El Naranjo, and this area is a highly conflicted area, not just because drug, drug uh, smuggling, but as well uh, migrants. It's a high area because a lot of migrants from all Central America that try to get to the US uh, have to go through here, to Mexico, so you have here big uh, gangs or maras they called that steal from the migrants the money. So it's a very high conflict area, and they just open a big road here before they just use the river. So this the national park. Uh, this is a protected area, and the Laguna del Tigre, which is this other, is now is totally well. The f it's really fragmented because of 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 the road. So I hypothesize that these roads are really oil pipelines. Well, there is a big, the, the history, there's a, I don't know if you see all the deforestation here, it increased a lot with the road, but it's very high than other areas because there is oil. And the first road was open because oil for oil extraction. And there is big interest in this area. All this area is, is big, it has big potential for oil. So, so that's, that's another, another issue there that will be important to consider, yeah. So I have a new idea. Okay. My idea is to have the governments agree to a rail system instead of roads, and that these rail systems are basically controlled by the government. And if they agree to the notion of world parks, so United Nations protected areas, then these railroads become a corridor to get tourists in, but you can't radiate from them other roads. And there won't be any settlements because you can't just use a railroad for travel between small towns. I mean, basically it would be a tourist road, I mean, a tourist railroad. Yeah, I think that would be an excellent, an, an excellent thing, especially in these areas and these areas. I don't know that much this area because the, the, the political instability is really high. Uh, so they may just, I don't know, I'm not stop the train or whatever. No, 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 I know. But even if, if folk, 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 local people can use it, is this, this area is highly, highly stable. We, we, we had to stop 
uh, work there because some of my colleagues were kidnapped by drug dealers and we cannot even go there anymore. So there are some areas that are very, very, um, they're not very uh, stable, let's say, but I think in all this area will be, will be an excellent alternative. I think that the road system could be, could be the, the alternative. I think we're going to let uh, those of you who want to go, go, and you're welcome to stick around and talk to Dahlia for as long as she wants to talk. And thank you so much, Dahlia. Thank you.